Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome Dolphins fans, haters, and everyone in between to your favorite show discussing the greatest franchise in sports, the Miami Dolphins. This is the Fins Pod. My name is Moose, your host, and guys, I think it's time to get excited. The Dolphins absolutely manhandled the Atlanta Falcons en route to a preseason performance I have not seen this team have in my lifetime, frankly, top to bottom. And now we have to look at the details of how it exactly went down, and we're going to get into all of that. Because Atlanta wasn't really at full go, so the game isn't a true reflection of the disparity between the clubs. But regardless, there's plenty to be excited about, considering how smooth and frankly dominant that the offense looked. Let's get to it, and let's dive in. Orlovsky, what have you seen from him this preseason? Yeah, surgical performance. I think two is starting to look like the guy that people were raving about two years ago to tank for. It reminds me right now of watching him play like watching Steve Nash or Chris Paul in the pick and roll. That's exactly what Tua needs to be is that guy that just constantly has a feel, an instinctual feel for what's going on with the defense. The great ball handling. If they protect him and those skill position players continue to develop, all Tua is going to have to do is play to his strength. Ball distribute, ball distribute. Okay, pick your part here. Oh, it's man coverage there. Let me get the ball out of my hands. Quickly to a tailback or quickly to Jalen Waddle or some of those tight ends. I think we're starting to see what Tua is great at. And that is playing very similar style football to Drew Brees. And I will say this again. I expect Tua to have a very good year and Tua to play a lot like the guy that everyone two years ago was saying, tank for Tua. Orlovsky, I'm going to put you on the spot. Are the Miami Dolphins a playoff team this year with Tua at quarterback? Yes. All right, there you go. Let's pause here for a moment, because before I dive into the game, talk about how Tua looked and other facets of the team's performance, we do have to take note of something. This was essentially, in essence, a tune-up game. And I I say that because the Falcons did not play all their starters, which is honestly frustrating. But if you think about it, Matt Ryan, he's been in the league since 2008. I don't really think he needs the preseason. But personally, I think all teams and players could use some game reps that don't count even seasoned vets like Ryan, because it helps shake off the rust. But hey, if rookie coach Arthur Smith doesn't feel like it's necessary, then so be it. But what did end up happening on Saturday night? Well, the Dolphins' first team offense dominated the Falcons' second team defense with some starters sprinkled in, as well as the Dolphins' second team offense dominating the Falcons' second team defense. And then our third team offense handled the third team defense. Essentially, Miami proved that they were the better coached and more talented team. 
and deep talent. We saw that in bunches, which is exciting. And we're going to get to the defense and their performance later in the show. But boy, oh boy, wasn't that game fun as hell? And we've been preaching on this show. You guys who listen know as well, Tua's going to be damn good. We've been saying it for over a year now. We've had episode after episode discussing all the reasons that it's likely going to be the case that he succeeds from the intangibles, which at times are overrated, I'll give you that, but his skill set, his unique ability to move within the pocket, understand the game conceptually, and have elite passing precision. And if it all comes together and he can truly slice and dice defenses all day, then members of the pod, we got him. And what we saw on Saturday night was a far more confident Tua. A Tua who looked not only in command of the offense and overall team, but himself as well. Physically, he's a different quarterback. His footwork was superb. He moved in and out of the pocket, avoiding pressure naturally, while keeping his head down the field and his feet in position to throw at any given moment. His mechanics have caught up to the speed of the NFL. That's a big difference between how he played last year, where he was always a beat slow. And again, you're seeing that although he makes mistakes, like in week one, where he was a beat too slow on the Shaheen interception, He's not making the same mistake twice. We saw him do a strike down the seam to Gesicki, no hesitation. So look, from a statistical standpoint, Tua went 16-23, 183 yards, as well as a touchdown. He averaged 8 yards per attempt. So no, contrary to what some are saying, not everything was a checkdown. So what I love the most was the confidence that he had to step up and throw the ball downfield. A few plays a note. During that second drive for the starting offense, Tua escaped the pressure, leaked out to his right, and scrambled up the field for eight yards on his way to a first down. His pocket presence on that play, as well as some others, was on full display, as well as the play that he was sacked, and that was due to a blown block and blown assignment by Malcolm Brown. He, But Tua, when that the corner blitz came right by Malcolm Brown, he stepped up. He made a miss. He made a few other guys miss until eventually he got corralled. But I think it's fair to be optimistic that it seems like he's feeling pressure more naturally. And we saw that time and time again. He made slight adjustments in the pocket, keeping his feet, again, pointed in the direction of his target, staying in the play, not panicking, breaking down, trying to escape. He just subtly moves in the pocket, finding the open space. And that's what the best pocket passers in history are ready to do. Always be ready to fire the ball downfield, and that's something that Tua's looking like is going to be the case. He was also excellent on third down. Again, preseason, understand, but we can only evaluate what's put out there right now, and that's these games. So on third down, Tua was killing it, converting once again to Mac Hollins, who's looking solid yet again, surprising, as well as converting third downs to Miles Gaskin and Mike Kosicki. But it's important to harp on this. Because what separates the solid quarterbacks from the good to great quarterbacks is their ability to move the chains on third down. It's called the money down for a reason. Miami struggled mightily with that last year, but so far throughout this preseason, they are much improved. And when you consider the weapons around him, it does make sense that the offense is going to be improved and overall more potent. I don't want to overanalyze Tua's performance because, as we stated, this is a preseason game. He only played a half against some backups, but... You're lying to yourself if you don't feel significantly better about Tua actually taking that second-year jump. Because we're going to have episodes every day this week. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever it is you're listening. And stay tuned because we're going to be doing a deeper dive on all of Tua's throws and what we can glean from them, regardless of whether it's an exhibition game. 
But moving on to the weapons, it was excellent to see Jalen Waddle get the ball. And the team started with a quick screen out to him. And his impact for this offense, it's becoming more and more clear. The end around that he got, which honestly, amazing play and execution, great fake. Had me confused as hell. I was watching Miles Gaskin up the middle, and I was like, wait, where's the ball? Oh, damn. And Jalen Waddle. He didn't just look good on that play. He looked explosive running routes. He finished the game with three receptions for 21 yards, and he would have had more, if not a touchdown as well, because that play that we talked about before, the blown block by Malcolm Brown, Waddle was breaking wide open on a deep post, and if Tua had that second more, he would have let it fly and had a big play touchdown. But the pressure got there too fast. But still, the possibilities of deep shots, they become real when you actually see it executed on the field. And just like all of you, I was on the verge of tears when Waddle came hobbling to the sideline. I was convinced he had a torn MCL, ACL, both worse. My conditioning as a Miami Dolphins fan began to reveal itself. But Waddle is a tough son of a gun. He proved it in college, and he showed it again. It was a huge sigh of relief, not only for me, but all the fan base, when he popped his helmet back on and came to play. And now, personally, I wanted him to sit at that point, but knowing what we know now, it's pretty cool to see him do that. Not to mention, it definitely earned him some respect from his teammates, which is huge for a guy who's seemingly going to demand a lot of targets. So if you're going to be getting all that attention with the ball in your hands, it's good that the guys respect you. So doing stuff like that might go a long way. The other receiving numbers go as follows. Mac Hollins, four receptions. 49 yards, continues to have a strong showing in the absence of Devontae Parker. Miles Gaskin was great out of that backfield. Converting on that third down in the first drive, that was a great play. And again, shows his escapability. He caught that touchdown pass from Tua. He's going to be a factor in this passing game. He had four catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. Mike Kosicki, three catches, 43 yards. Kirk Merritt really popped out. Three receptions, 34 yards and a touchdown. Malcolm Perry also had one catch for 29 yards, and Savan Ahmed, Jakeem Grant, and Robert Foster brought in a few balls as well, with Foster hauling in that touchdown from Jacoby Brissett. But overall, considering Miami was without those top three targets, Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, Albert Wilson, look, it's going to be panic time on that soon. We're not there yet, another week or so, and then we can start worrying. But for now, they're vets. Let them come back at their own pace. But I'm excited at the depth that we got to watch and see how Miami showcased them because specifically the emergence of Kirk Merritt, that was great to see. He came in as an undrafted free agent, but a high-ceiling undrafted free agent because he's a physical freak. He's got crazy jump-out-the-gym ability, good hands, and also great yards after catch. He's an amazing athlete, and we saw it on that 30-plus yard catch he had later in the game prior to him hauling in that touchdown. But Miami could try to sneak him onto the practice squad because of the depth at receiver, but if a club is needing help outside, I would snag him if I were that club. So I do hope that he earns a spot over a guy like Robert Foster just because I feel like the ceiling is higher for Kirk Merritt. I was also disappointed by Malcolm Perry's performance. Look, he needs to play well down the stretch to get a spot, but he made a few mistakes in the kicking game as well, and he couldn't make the catch to convert the fourth down on Miami's third drive. So again, he might be on thin ice because Lynn Bowden's absence was helping him. But if he returns and balls out and Bowden looks good, it could spell doom for Perry, the second-year re- receiver out of Navy. The offensive line looked much better. And no, they aren't now going to dominate and we can all feel great. No, that's not the case. It is preseason, like we said. But it's good to see resiliency. 
it's good to see a bounce-back performance from your offensive line when they struggled a week ago. Specifically, Austin Jackson. He looked a lot better. Didn't look like, you know, what you want an 18th overall pick to look like. But considering the fears of a week ago and the regression we worried he had, seeing that step, seeing that, hey, he's stable, he's good, Tua had time, it wasn't like he was constantly worrying about what was happening out there, that's great. He generally gave Tua time and was solid in the running game, and he should continue to get better and better. But again, if he takes a step back next week when the Dolphins play in Cleveland, then we can genuinely start to worry. But if he performs well, even better than this week, then honestly, feel good entering the season because he is young. And that, again, is the hope with him, that he will get better and better over time, considering he just started being able to drink. He's like 21 years old. So again, give the kid time and seeing him bounce back is a good sign. Solomon Kinley, he honestly seemed to wrestle the guard spot for himself for now. He's not the perfect guy for pass protection and the scheme using receivers in space and having your line run downfield and set up blocks. Solomon Kinley is not the best for that, but he does make up for it on occasional running plays. But I don't think he's the long-term answer for this offensive line because of that physical you know, skill set that we talked about. Miami wants more athleticism there, and you see that in Robert Hunt, who is stronger and a better overall blocker, but is a little bit more athletic than Solomon Kinley when it comes to you know, pass protection and getting out in space. Moving on to center, Michael Dieter. He continues to play really well. He's a pleasant surprise and just generally proof that player development is a thing in this new regime. He's going to hold on to the spot barring injury because, again, he's performed well. Robert Hunt at right guard, monster. Excited to see him grow because he's still new to the position. But kudos to the coaching staff for identifying that guard was his spot because it allows him to use his physicality a lot more. Rather than that nuanced technique that's needed from tackles, considering that you're facing these elite pass rushers with bend and athleticism, guards can focus more on just bullying their opponent, being stronger and taking them out in small, tight spaces. So Robert Hunt looks good in that role, if not great. And I'm excited because, again, he's only in his second year. And if this line can build together, we got something. The right tackle spot, that was interesting because it seems Miami is prepping to make a move they split reps for the starters with Jesse Davis, who was there throughout camp and kind of who we had penciled in there. But Liam Eikenberg started splitting reps with him. And I'm sorry, but just from the one game, Eikenberg is better. He is far better in run blocking, and he's a bigger, stronger, more high-ceiling athlete than Jesse Davis. Jesse Davis should return to his swing lineman role, have an injury at left tackle, have an injury at guard. Throw him in there. But I want to see Eichenberg take the right tackle spot and start. Get him developing. Get him implemented and ingrained in this offense so you have him developing with Robert Hunt for years and years down the road. Because Miami traded up for Liam Eichenberg. They gave up future assets so you know that the team had visions of him becoming a contributor. He's strong, great technique, rarely gets beat. He never. He, I think he went two years at Notre Dame without allowing a sack. And he was not even close to allowing a sack in his performance against Atlanta. Look, he isn't some road grader. Like, there's a reason he wasn't taken in the first round. But he has the frame to become one. He's huge. He did have some dominant reps, too, on combo blocks where he would drive guys five yards down the field. But honestly, it was against backup. So we'll see if the coaching staff gives him the nod to potentially start in the final preseason game. 
In terms of depth on the offensive line, there are two guys that I'm intrigued by. And as some of you may know, I do have a UMass bias, and I'll admit I am rooting for Larnell Coleman. But I'm happy to say he is far better than anyone expected. Miami played him at right tackle last week against Chicago, and against the second and third team of the Bears, he looked solid. But still, considering that he's a seventh-round pick, that's really good to look solid. And that continued this week. He played on the left side with the backups, and he never got beat. He has incredibly long arms, which allow for him to get control of defensive ends and linebackers, and his mechanics are definitely not refined, right? He sometimes oversets, undersets, is too late or early with his punches. He, he looks a little awkward at times, but the fact that he's still holding off defenders is promising, and he did start over Greg Little. I truly believe, though, for Larnell Coleman, given his physical frame, as well as what he's put on film so far this early on in his career, he's going to make this team. Because he could become this team's swing tackle by the end of this season. And moreover, a potential starter down the line. He genuinely has that talent. I recommend you go check out, if you go back and watch the games, watch how the he was not getting beat whatsoever. And look, if you, we talk about Larnell Coleman and why we found this guy in the seventh round, he never had that coaching at UMass. And if you're like, Moose, calm down. He's a seventh round pick, right? If he was actually going to be a potential starter, I think other teams would have noticed. But... I respond with this. Maybe he was underdrafted. Maybe he was low on boards because he truly was kind of an unknown prospect. The kid is from Massachusetts. Like, he was born and raised there. No one looks up there to recruit. He then went and played for his home state and his school with some mediocre coaching. UMass is not some powerhouse. They are barely a D1 school. So, Larnell wasn't going up against the best. They barely had any games after the COVID pandemic. So, he didn't have a lot of film out there. And it's not like he's learning from those games from these great coaches. So there's a lot more under the surface with him that you can get out than a lot of prospects from the SEC or ACC or other Power 5 conferences who got that high-level coaching and kind of fleshed out their raw talents and show you what they can be. We don't know what Larnell Coleman can be, and that's exciting considering the raw clay right now is pretty good. And the main thing, the reason I think that we might have had an edge with the Larnell Coleman drafting is that UMass has one important alumni. Chris Greer went to the University of Massachusetts, so it makes sense that Greer keeps a closer eye on his alma mater than most any other GM. Just checking in, hey, what's going on at UMass? He could have been the one to spot the diamond in the rough. Not saying Coleman can start or that he's going to necessarily be a starter very soon, but he's easily beaten out the likes of Hubbard, who was already cut, as well as Panky. I think he's slowly beaten him out, and I don't think Panky's going to make this team because of the performance of Larnell Coleman. I like what I've seen from him, and I'm excited to see how the six foot six, 320-pounder fares going forward. The other lineman I was excited to see was Derval Kiraz Neto. And if you watched the last episode, we talked at good length about Derval and how he may finally get his shot. Well, he got it, and he balled out. Miami played him at left guard, and with Coleman, they did work. Derval showed power, good technique. Like, sort of like, you know, when you, you were in high school and there was like that smaller guy who was on the offensive line, but it's because he was like a wrestler. He had great technique. Derval plays like that, except he's not a smaller guy. He's huge. He moved people all game and finished blocks better than most of the starters would finish blocks. I genuinely think he has a shot to climb the depth chart. It'd be a shame not to see how he looks playing against tougher competition because the backups, frankly, it was child's play for him. 
He's a 28-year-old Brazilian man. He is not a 23-year-old rookie getting stronger. He is strong, and we saw that. He owned the line of scrimmage. He's another, and, and again, Draval's another example of this coaching staff's ability to develop players like a Michael Dieter. And more importantly, Draval's an amazing story. I think he could actually become a starter at the left guard position. He has that talent. It's just about letting him continue to get the reps, get experience. He lo- he likely isn't going to be able to start the season because of that lack of experience and how finally he's starting to get some reps. But from what he showed, I don't know why he can't play at this level. He looked really good. And if Solomon Kinley shows his limitations, which he does have, and Neto continues to impress in practice and get better and better in the coming months, don't be surprised to see a switch. He might get a shot through injury, but I do think Derval Neto might end up starting on the offensive line. He really was that impressive. And moving on, it seems that some of you didn't really like all my Adam Shaheen bashing. First of all, it's not bashing or hate. I just genuinely don't think the guy is as good as everyone else does. But he hasn't really proven anything to me so far. So feel how you will about that. But it seems like the coaching staff could agree because there was plenty more Durham Smythe in this game. He had some excellent blocks on the edge, opening up lanes for Miles Gaskin, and his receiving ability is there. It's proven. Shaheen was targeted once, but Tua had pressure in his face, and he had to throw, unfortunately, an inaccurate pass, the only inaccurate ball he threw during the game, except maybe for that side. Well, the waddle incompletion wasn't totally inaccurate, but he could have placed it in a better spot. But generally, that one pass to Shaheen was the one where you're like, whoa, almost picked off. But again, that was not Shaheen's fault. Tua had a pressure right in his face. But look, Shaheen's going to be used plenty this year on the field. I just don't think he's going to end the season with more reps than Smythe. I just don't. But we're going to find out because Gasicki continues to look the part. Miami's officially decided to use him properly. He almost never lines up along the line of scrimmage. He's never asked to block. Instead, the Dolphins use him as he should be, a receiver. And that's okay because remember, this new offense, it's focused on putting their players in the best spot to make plays. Having Gasicki in line does not make him nearly as potent. He still has the ability to do that, right? Put him in line, maybe as a decoy. And we're going to see him on the on the line as well in two tight end sets. But Miami's going to use either Durham Smythe or Adam Shaheen as well as Mike Gasicki. They're never going to leave Gasicki on line, in line tight end if there's a running back. Now, if it's Tua alone in shotgun, four wide receivers out, yeah, Gasicki might line up as a tight end just from a, you know, formational standpoint. But if you're actually trying to threaten with the run, you're you're likely going to see another tight end on the field. At least that's how it's been so far in the preseason. Someone who could become potentially a really good one-two punch with Mike Gasicki is rookie Hunter Long, entering that primary tight end role because we got to see the third-round pick in action for the first time. And remember, he was carted off the practice field with seemingly a serious knee injury less than a month ago. But there he was, looking like the second best tight end on the field from the eye test. He had some excellent blocking reps and hauled in a pass for a four-yard gain. So good to see him show some hands. And frankly, good to see him on the field, considering we all thought he was lost for the year. I have high hopes for Hunter. He has the skills. He showcased it at BC. Expect Miami to begin integrating him more and more into the offense as he gets healthier, as well as a better understanding of the speed of the game. I mean, this was his first NFL action since he was drafted, so it makes sense that they're bringing him along slowly. But he saw a lot of action in the second half of the game, specifically in run blocking, where he looked good. 
Moving on to the defense, Miami looked solid. What it feels like it's the, it's been the same since like week six of last year, or like week four of last year. The defense looks good, but there was some concerning stuff. We're going to get nitpicky because the bar is raised for the defense. Some things do need to be tightened up. Once again, Miami must get better against the run. They have the pieces. They have the talent. It's just about playing like a unit being where you're supposed to be, and minimizing the damage on run plays. It's a work in progress, and frankly, right now, the Achilles heel of the defense. It's hard to praise the pass defense, considering that they faced A.J. McCarron and Felipe Franks, so we can assume that will hold because, again, they didn't really allow either of them to do too much prior to McCarron's injury. But it's going to be interesting to see who the next round of cuts are going to be because the Dolphins have guys like Nate Hawley, Clayton Fedulam, who just seem to be guys. I don't, I don't think either of those guys make the team with Jason McCourty now there, Javon Holland, Eric Rowe, and Brandon Jones also on the squad. But Nate Hawley did get a good amount of looks in that game. A guy who I really like on the defensive line, Jonathan Ledbetter. The former SEC standout at Georgia signed with Miami as an undrafted free agent in 2019, and he's battled injury as well as the loaded depth chart. We have an episode about that if you want to go back and check out the defensive tackle depth chart. But he's been given time to improve himself physically because he was young, and now he's only 23, and he's making an impact on the line. He looks good. He's number 93 out there. I don't know if you've noticed him in in that second unit, but I expect him to make the team as he can become kind of that rotational player if a guy goes down, if there's an injury, and eventually replace a guy like Adam Butler, who is here on a short-term deal. And look, we can't talk about the game. We can't talk about the defense without mentioning the performance of Sam Aguavin. We touched on him last week and why Calvin Munson, who did come down with a pick, so give him credit there, but the emergence of Sam Aguavin and the return of Landon Roberts could be a problem for Munson, regardless of that interception. But look, back to Sam. He had a performance for the ages. Jason Taylor was definitely impressed. Guavin tallied four sacks, including a safety. And look, he was explosive, very disruptive when rushing the passer. It's good to see Miami has more than just Jerome Baker as a blitzing linebacker like they did last year, because Miami now has a Guavin playing like a heat-seeking missile, and Bernardrick McKinney, who also looked good. On that fourth down play where Felipe Franks leaked out and was able to convert, Bernardrick McKinney blitzed in there like a bullet. So I really like the depth that we now have, and even a Landon Roberts can come in on a delayed blitz and mess up a quarterback. Miami has built this defense around their scheme, and they have players who can fill those roles. It's excellent to see. Lastly, we're going to close on the sighting of one Jalen Phillips, Huge fans of Jalen Phillips here at the pod. Although, look, he didn't make any flashy plays. He did look good. He shed blocks extremely well, something that he was able to do at Miami. But that's an amazing place to start because usually guys come in and got to work on their hand placement, have to work on shedding, have to get stronger. He kind of already has all the physical tools and is more than strong enough to rip a tackle off of him and make sure he gets back into the play. He showed relentless pursuit, something, again, that elevated his stock when he played for the Canes. Number 15, he's going to get a lot of reps during the regular season. We saw them. Now that they had him healthy, they put him out there. He played almost the whole game. He's got those tools, the size, the speed, strength, and bend. With Emmanuel Ogba teaching him and looking as solid as well for himself, the Dolphins could actually facilitate a pass rush with four down linemen, not to mention Andrew Van Ginkle, who also looked good and made a couple plays behind the line of scrimmage. If that happens, Miami's able to get that organic pressure, then we got a lot to be excited about for this defense. 
Like I said at the top of the show, we're going to have episodes every day this week. The team is coming together, and we do not want to miss any of it. So be sure to subscribe and come back for more Dolphins Talk. That's going to do it for us here today. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Fins Pod. Hope you enjoyed it. If you're listening on Spotify, please follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It helps us out a lot and helps other Dolphins fans find the pod. Thank you always to Timothy Ritchie, member of the pod and supporter of the show over on Patreon. Check that out. Links in the description or head to patreon.com slash finspod. Thank you all so much for the continued support. And please remember to like the video if you enjoy the show and subscribe wherever it is you're listening just to never miss a chance to chat about your Miami Dolphins. Remember that the show is available on all platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and of course, YouTube. Continue the conversation with us over on Twitter and Instagram. We put a lot of good shit out there at FinsPod, so make sure to follow. I hope you all have an amazing day. Until next time, stay safe. Love y'all.